From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. If you've had Border Song in your head for the last several weeks, like I have, then you might be excited about the new musical biopic about Elton John and theaters. Rocketman stars Taron Egerton, who played Elton John and also sings the songs in the film. Egerton visited the Chronicle Archive studio on the day of the film's release after an electric San Francisco premiere at the Castro Theater. I often ask actors what memorabilia they take from their movie sets, and I rarely get a straight answer. But Egerton was very open. Here he is talking about one special prop that he's probably going to keep forever. The big thing that I took, and it is quite a big thing, um, one of the one of the sort of one of the big moments in the film is at the Troubadour Club in LA, and uh, the performance area at the Troubadour sits just below a kind of seven, eight foot neon blue sign that says the word Troubadour. Um, and I remember when we were filming there, Richard Madden one day turned to me and said, you should keep that, put it in your flat, because I'd just bought a new flat and it was very bare. Uh-huh. And so it's now in a plastic case mounted in my kitchen, and it's quite a cool feature. That uh, looked like a very big sign. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely huge, but it's a, quite a long wall in my kitchen, so it fits really nicely. <laughs> The Big Event is generally our podcast for Bay Area stories with famous people from outside the Bay Area moving over to our Datebook podcast. But I thought this episode would bookend nicely with last year's The Big Event interview with Bohemian Rhapsody star Rami Malek. Egerton was delightful. The Chronicle printed one of the few negative reviews of Rocketman, which he was polite enough not to bring up. And we had a good time going through our Elton John archived photos and concert reviews If acting as Elton John and singing like Elton John isn't enough for you, he drew an excellent cartoon of Elton John's face on the wall of our Chronicle studio. We've already posted that on social media. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. So, Taryn, welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome Thank to you. San Francisco. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming in. Um, you were at the Castro last night? I was, yeah. Okay, so I have to think that you're doing a lot of these screenings. You're going from city to city, but but yeah. Castro, it's a beautiful place. Are you going to remember this one? I mean, it was pretty electric last night. I arrived uh, backstage approximately halfway through the screening, the reactions of the audience and the approval of the audience was was audible and palpable. It was really, really great. And obviously, given the nature of the film, this town is uh, is of significance, given its progressive liberal identity. Um, uh, and so it was great to get such a warm response. It really was fantastic. Do you get to, when you're visiting, and I don't know if you've come to San Francisco before, but do you ever get to check out the city? Did you actually get out in the Castro, or is that impossible? No, I mean, you know, yeah, there's a, you do a little bit of adventuring. I've, I've been to San Francisco before, but it's always, you know, these kind of fleeting whistle-stop trips. Yeah. Um, but it's a fantastic place. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you can uh, visit again. Uh, Marikar Mendoza, my editor, is here, so I don't want to surprise you. you. Hello, Tara. Yeah, hey, hey. yeah. Okay, if we take photos while yeah, we're going. I don't yeah, want to. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask earliest Elton John memory. Do you? Do you? Does it go way back? Yeah. Um, 
I think I remember being aware of who he was or asking who he was during um, the Disney phenomenon that was The Lion King. Um, <laughs> that, like a lot of people of my age, you know, I'm 30 this year, but so I was exactly the right age for The Lion King. And I remember being very enchanted by it and enchanted by the music, in fact. Um, uh, and then, you know, like, like, so, like, like a lot of these, you know, real universal phenomena artists, um, he's been right the way through my upbringing and my growing up and my discovery of music and my falling in love with music. Uh, I remember when he released his greatest hits album in 2002 and being seriously enamored of that and that being my first real window into his back catalog. And, um, and then I auditioned for drama school with your song as my audition piece. Oh, excellent. Um, so yeah. He's been there a lot. Did you know you'd be singing during the audition process? I mean, was that something that... For, that for Elton, for the Elton movie. For, for Rocket, Rocket Man. Man, did you know you'd be singing? Well, I think it was always what excited... Matthew Vaughan, who has brought together the, the different factions who were all working together to make Rocket Man. So Elton and David's production company, Rocket, Paramount, myself, Dexter. I think what really excited him was the idea that I would play this role and I would sing. Um, mm. It is a musical. Uh and you know they're not just big kind of show-stopping spectacle numbers there's some really intimate moments of introspection that manifest as 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 Elton songs you know so there's a moment where Elton sat at a piano in the early 80s and 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 not in the best shape and um and he starts singing don't let the sun go down on me as this kind of um soliloquy of sadness really um so I think it, it, it you know as it's a musical it needed an actor who could hold the tune yeah, and uh, uh, at what point does Elton John come into this? I mean, at what point do you meet him, and what's that like? Um, I met him in 2016 when we were doing Kingsman 2. That was the first time our, our paths crossed. Um, but that, at that point, it, well, this, this conversation hadn't really started in earnest. Matthew yeah. had sort of touted the idea. Um, but over the course of kind of 2017, 2018, we really started to spend time together regularly um largely because you know I, I i felt it would be helpful to playing him but we just kind of got on very well and yeah. uh we've got a similar sense of humor and um and seem to enjoy each other's company a great deal so um it's been a wonderful factor of this whole thing forming a friendship with him did that build um and was there a point where you, you mentioned you had that friendship but but was there a bonding point, whether it was during the movie or even, um, even after? I think j just over a year ago, I remember I went to stay at his house for a couple of nights with my girlfriend, and he he gave me a gift of, of diamond earring, and it was the first one he ever bought in, in sort of 72, 73, quite a big heart-shaped rock, and, um, and there was something very kind of fortifying about that. Uh, it really felt like a, a, a very grand, very beautiful gesture. So much so that I asked the costume designer if I could wear it in the film, and I do. I wear it for all of the rehabilitation scenes. Uh -huh. um, and it became a sort of token, a good luck charm, kind of talisman that made me feel very connected to him. Yeah. Do you, do you call, while you're making this movie, do you call him with little questions? I would have to think every scene you might have a question for him. How you do a certain song, how we would do a movement. Were you handling it that way, or were you actually not no, wanting not to do really. it? Not really. I mean, that? I think, you know, I, I think. Um, when you see the movie, I think uh, it, it's, it becomes quite immediately apparent that it's not this kind of 
I'm not, it's not mimicry, I'm not impersonating him, I'm trying to evoke a sense of him and capture his spirit, but, you know, there's enough of him in there for an audience to invest in the idea it's him, but, you know, it's also me, it's me revealing things about myself through the prism of the character, you know, um, it's a sort of Elton Taran hybrid, I suppose, but yeah. um, uh, he was very much, he made himself very available to me to to ask any questions or, or, or any kind of advice. But more, more than that, he was just a great sort of emotional support and a great um, facilitator and, you know, he was very encouraging to me. Was there a scene or a daily or some moment where you just thought, Eureka, this is going to work? No, perhaps. I mean, I think, you know, when you're making the film, that you know, I think there's a danger of if you become kind of, if you're stood at the monitors being self-congratulatory, mm-hmm then you might start resting on your laurels and it's quite important to be fiery and sparky and engaged. But yeah, of course, there's moments where you think, oh, wow, that's cool. I mean, you know, I think when we shot Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting um, and also when we shot Rocket Man, the, the sequence Rocket Man and the Dodgers Stadium bit, I remember the Dodgers Stadium bit going to sort of have a look at the monitors to make sure I wasn't doing anything <laughs> hideous uh, and thinking, oh, wow, that's quite... That's quite that's quite cinematic. There's yeah. something about that, and um, so yeah, maybe maybe that moment, maybe that moment, I sort of thought, well, oh, this is quite cool. And I I was going to ask you about that later, but I, I do want to ask about a couple of specific scenes, and one of them is that Dodger sit- Stadium scene. You know, we're we're conditioned as 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 people watching the films to wonder, is that actually happening? Is it CGI? Mm. Where where did you film that, and what what? was that like I, I saw you even hit a baseball i mean i was wondering throughout the whole thing how much of that was yeah we didn't film it at dodgers stadium you know? yeah it's, yeah um, i figured you did there's of course you know uh, a bit of cinema magic that goes into creating a sequence like that but from an acting perspective you know if you don't have the hordes of elton fans there at your disposal you perform to what you have available so you perform to the crew yeah. and the handful of extras you have you know but um, yeah, of course, there's a bit of CGI wizardry that goes to help us along the way. Yeah, yeah, and the the baseball. You you're not a. Did you? I, I shouldn't assume that you're not from the United no, States. No, that you're a, not a baseball player. A, no, it's a correct assumption. I um, <laughs> I'm I'm not a baseball player, but um, I suppose given half a chance I can whack something pretty hard if I want to. Yeah, because you hit it quite well. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I think that must have been my inner Elton. Inner Elton, very good. Um, what was the first screening? Um, seeing it with a crowd for the first oh, the time. First, the first time I saw it with a crowd was at Cannes. Oh, really? Well, yeah, it was. It was a very high stakes uh, screening. Um, I'd seen it in Dexter's office, the final cut, but not completely finished, mixed with all the effects on. So Cannes was a sort of overwhelming experience on many levels because uh, it was the first time I'd seen the finished thing. It was the first time Elton had seen it. Uh, I was sat with him and Bernie and David Furnish and Dexter. And of course I'd been led to believe that there are there are versions of those screenings at Cannes where the audience can be uh, te- te- temperamental or, or, or vocal in their distaste. They can boo. They, they can will boo. boo. Yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah. that. Um, and so, you know, you you put yourself out there and that's kind of scary and intimidating and uh, to, to receive the the warmth that we did and the and the response that we did was was um, indescribably validating. Uh, did you position yourself near 
Elton and Bernie were they well, nearby? That, yeah, all of that was decided for us. But yeah, I was sat next to Bernie, and Bernie was sat next to Elton. Yeah. How how hard was it to you? Oh, I'm, I should ask you. Were you were you looking at their reaction, and what was yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in many respects, they're the two most important opinions, Elton and Bernie. It's their story we're telling. So, um, but I can happily report that they adore the film, which is really wonderful. Yeah. Now you've seen it at Cannes. You've seen it at the Castro. This movie's coming out today as we're yeah. recording. Um, and I'm wondering, will you go into a screening just in a random yeah. place and just with a ball cap down low? Yeah, and I think so. That's what, I, that's what I'd like to do. I haven't ever done that before. I know Samuel L. Jackson does that for every <laughs> one of his films. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I will do that for this. I'll pick a moment in the next week or so and, and find, a, find a nice theater and I'll, and I'll go and sit and watch it. Yeah. Well, we won't... We won't uh, say any more than that but I think that's cool that's a cool little tradition um, I have to ask about a uh, couple things these are a little bit random but um, I always ask people um, did you keep anything from the movie yeah. and nobody ever tells me because they um, I think they don't want to get in trouble because they all do oh, I'll you know, tell you. unless it's like Rob Lowe who, who will tell me about something he kept from 30 years ago right sure but you I saw you you were campaigning I'd love to hear yeah. about that and, and how that turned out <laughs> so I I was in love with my with one of the particular items of clothing in the film and it's a denim jacket covered in these kind of these patches which sort of are anything from fluffy dice to cherries to treble clefs and you uh-huh. know all the kind of very 60s flower power thing going on um and i wanted that jacket very much I, it, it disappeared for a while i think it might be being recreated for some purpose <laughs> somewhere or duplicated but i recently got it and i wore it to the new york premiere because i thought it would be fun um so i got i got that the big thing that i took and it is quite a big thing um one of the one of the sort of one of the big moments in the film is at the Troubadour Club in LA and uh, the performance area at the Troubadour sits just below a kind of seven, eight foot neon blue sign that says the word Troubadour. Um, and I remember when we were filming there, Richard Madden one day turned to me and said, you should keep that, put it in your flat because I just bought a new flat and it was very bare. Uh-huh. And so it's now in a plastic case mounted in my kitchen and it's quite a cool feature. That looked uh, like a very big sign. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely huge, but it's a quite a long wall in my kitchen so it fits really <laughs> nicely. Um and then the last thing I took I I didn't take for myself. I took the glasses that I wear in in the your song scene, uh-huh. the writing of your song, and I had Elton's reading prescription put in them and I gave them to him for his 72nd birthday earlier this year. Uh as a kind of to try and return the favor of the beautiful gift he gave me a year ago, really. Uh, yeah. He's given me several things, but that was a particularly special thing, that diamond earring. And I wanted to try and, you know, he gave me something from his real life to put in the film. And so I wanted to take something out of the film to, for him to use in his real life. And and uh, I've actually seen him wearing them on two occasions oh, nice. since I gave him them. He wears them whilst he's doing his crossword. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, ask you about um, just filming and and the songs um i i was walking i remember i was walking to the screening and i'm just humming rocket man consistently in my head while i'm walking there i'm wondering you was there elton john that was your mantra or was just constantly going through your head through this Um, i think you know dexter and i had things we would think in terms of whilst filming you know i think it's 
when a story seems sprawling and complex, I think it can be quite helpful from an acting perspective to bring it down to a reduced, simple thing. So, you know, what is this? What is the story we're telling? Sure, it's this story of this global icon who lived this incredible life and all of these crazy things happened. But, you know, we always talked about it in terms of someone trying to find home um, and not being able to go home. You know, mm -hmm. for him, when he comes to America, it means everything because there's no home for him to go back to really yeah, yeah Sheila his mother is still there and the house is still there but it's not a place of it's not a place of kind of solace or comfort you know it's not it's not home in, in the traditional sense so the my my kind of Elton John mantra was um, was there's no going home and I always quite liked it because it sort of echoes a bit of Dorothy which is uh -huh. also a little bit appropriate and thematic for our film oh very nice were there songs that you wanted in there that didn't get in there? And, and, and yeah, I, I won't ask the opposite question, but... Um. No, there were no songs cut from the film, which okay. was a, 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 an extraordinary thing and something we're very proud of. I, su I suggested to Dexter at one point that we try and include Someone Save My Life Tonight, uh, partly because it's my favourite and partly because I think, given the story that we're telling, it seems to be quite... Um, encapsulating of, of of the overall journey that Elton goes on mm -hmm. um, but you know they've got hits coming out of their ears and <laughs> you know we couldn't include everything sure sure um, now I know the films are couldn't I mean they're very very different the Bohemian Rhapsody and, and Rocket Man but I'm wondering if you know the history of, of musicals certainly in America they don't always do really well just seeing Bohemian Rhapsody doing what it did. Yeah. Um, critically, it, it did very well, and, and people loved it. Did that give you a little bit of a boost, just seeing that people might be yeah, happy to see a musical movie, even though I know the m movies aren't especially similar? No, I mean, I think it was... It's, it's, it's heartening and also intimidating, I suppose, you know, speaking candidly, because you hope that it's a reflection of a of a, an appetite for rock biopics, rock storytellers, you know, t stories told about great musical artists. But equally, that movie was such a, such a global triumph um, that it can feel intimidating following in its wake, really. Mm -hmm. um, but only time will tell. I mean, obviously, that movie was geared towards uh, a wider audience than our movie is, I would say. I think, it, I, personally, I hope that it has every single bit of, of Bohemian Rhapsody's appeal, but it's not geared towards children, for example. Sure. And, and I think Bohemian Rhapsody had the benefit of that. So, ultimately, we may we may pay the price for that somewhere down the line, um, but, but it is exactly the movie we all wanted to make. Uh -huh. and, and I think there's a great sense of comfort in knowing we haven't compromised at any point. Um, the movie has its integrity very much intact and I'm not for a second saying that Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't I'm just saying that it's we really lean into Elton's difficulties whereas Bohemian Rhapsody was more about the band I think and, and they didn't they didn't that was they didn't go to that part of the yeah. story really um, so that may reflect in the box office slightly but I, I'm, I'm very at peace with that yeah I just have a couple more um Elton John, I mean, you were a fan uh, going in. You liked his music, but what about now? Do you appreciate his music on a different level? And he's not performing as much as he used to. Uh, you know, I know he's pretty much 
wanting to shut it down. Are you going out and actually seeing him perform? Is that something that... that yeah, I've seen him three times in the past year. I saw him in Vegas towards the end of his Million Dollar Piano. Um, I saw him at Madison Square Garden in November. And earlier this year, I saw him in Fresno, of all places. Um, but um, I think he's got this epic tour which he's embarked on he's he's done a healthy chunk of it but there's still a good couple of years of it left mm-hmm. I think you know that's been his life you know he's lived on the road really I think he feels like quite a nomad and he obviously has these two beautiful kids and this great husband and I think he just feels like it's time to to sort of slightly hang up his electric boots you know yeah. um, and who can blame him you know <laughs> yeah. his stamina is extraordinary and last question um what about you and, and music? I mean, would you ever want to pursue that as a, as a hobby, uh, as yeah, a profession, no as a, maybe when you're retired, start a band? I, I mean, I, I, I think oh. the next thing for me is I, I need to I need to learn to play piano to a <laughs> level of proficiency that I could actually have a go at writing something. My my father's a songwriter, and um, you know, I, I come from a, a fairly musical family, um, so I'm. It's not. It, I, it's not that I don't want to. It's that I think if I were going to do it, I would need to have the 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 necessary toolkit to be able to write. And I don't at the moment. And I, I'm not really interested in doing a covers album. This process was hugely exciting because the songs are part of the storytelling and we've reimagined them. So it was creatively very stimulating. But I I would I think if I wanted to try and embark on anything musical again, um, that's not connected to a film. I would probably need to make sure I could play an instrument first. <laughs> we got some time to, to work on that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, thank you for coming into the Chronicle. And uh, I, I enjoyed the movie the first time, but I'm gonna I'm gonna R rating be damned. I'm gonna take my 14 year old son Great. Uh, Good over for you. the over the weekend. Good for and, you. Uh, there's, there's nothing there's nothing in there really. I, I think that you know 14 year olds will be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. So <laughs> thanks again, and thank uh, best of luck to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to our guest, Taryn Egerton. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.